And open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to begin verse 7 uh, here in just a moment. We're just singing about uh, God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Lord. And I hope that you know that He is faithful. Although I do recognize and realize there are challenges that come into our lives that uh, uh, the enemy uses to bring doubt uh, to the faithfulness of God. And you may be there. You may be here this morning uh, singing the songs and worshiping the Lord. But when we sing, great is thy faithfulness, you're beginning to wonder, well, God, why are you faithful to others and not to me? And, uh, and that's a reality that we face here on this earth. And, uh, and we're talking about in, in, in James about being real. Uh, we know, uh, or, or hopefully we know, and God will reveal himself to us in such a way that we can know that he is real and we can know that his grace is real, but we also need to be real and honest about our struggles uh, with the Lord. Uh, we can do that with one another and find encouragement and prayer support of those around us, uh, but we need to definitely be open and honest with God in our struggles because God has healing in our struggles. God has a work to do through our struggles. As a matter of fact, struggles don't have to be your enemy. Struggles can be your servant because they are God's servant. And he uses our struggles to deepen our faith and to deepen our relationship with him and to find him and to know him in a deeper way than we ever can before. I share that truth with you not only from the word of God but from my own experience. Uh, God has used the struggles that I've been through, the struggles that my family has been through, the struggles that my wife has been through, uh, that we've been through together. Uh, over the years to deepen my relationship with him and to a, come to a greater understanding of how faithful he is and how good he is. And that's why James says in James chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, therefore, be patient. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen? Uh, read, uh, just watch the news. Read the newspapers, uh, and you'll see that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful." But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Patience. Patience. Just the fact that that's the title of the message, and I'm fixing to preach on that. Some of you are going, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't, don't preach on patience because then the enemy will attack and we'll all go through suffering because as God tries to put this into our life. You've heard it said uh, many times. Matter of fact, I, I heard it uh, uh, just this week. It was talking about, you know, that it said, don't pray for patience. Don't, whatever you do, whatever you pray for, don't pray for patience because we think that God will, if we ask for patience, then God will send suffering into our life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it talks about how uh, through tribulation, God brings suffering. That uh, tribulation produces, I mean, God brings patience. Tribulation produces patience in our life. But I hope you understand that whether you pray for it or not, suffering's coming. Uh, we go through that whether we ask for it or not. This world, this life is filled with suffering. And the reality is, because that is true, we need patience. We need God to produce that in our lives. We need God to put that within our lives. And uh, when I think about suffering, my mind is drawn to a man I never met. Now, Larry Wright has met him. We were just talking before the service and stuff, and I've heard him reference him before. But a man by the name of, of, of Manly Beasley. Manly Beasley was an evangelist and a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, mainly in, a, in evangelism. And uh, back in the real, um, God really used him in a mighty way back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, throughout our convention. Matter of fact, in the 90s, he went home uh, to be with the Lord at the age of 57. But one of the things is that the last 20 plus years of his life, Manly Beasley, as he was preaching, as he was traveling across the nation, across the world, God used him in a mighty way, preaching on faith. He was going through some of the most challenging times that anybody has ever gone through physically. He was, uh, had autoimmune disease and then also was diagnosed with three terminal diseases, dealing with uh, issues with his lungs. At one time, spent over five months in the hospital dealing with issues with his kidney. Eventually died due to kidney failure. But he, uh, uh, most of the time, he was, you know, when he, when he would preach even at pastor's conferences or revivals and things like that, when he would preach, he'd either just gotten out of the hospital or uh, would have to come in in a, in a wheelchair or something uh, along that lines. But he preached the message of faith and the message of faith in the midst of hard times. And it was powerful and God anointed him and used him in a mighty way because he wasn't preaching about something that he went through 20 years ago. He was preaching about what he experienced that very morning and the hand of God upon his life. And this is what intrigued me as I was reading in, in an interview with him is that he made this statement. He said, there are some things better than healing, better than healing. Because immediately when we go through suffering and heartache, we want it to stop as quickly as possible. But the Lord taught him through all the pain and things he went through in his life that there are things better than healing. And let me tell you, knowing Jesus is better than healing. Knowing Jesus is healing. Is healing. And our trials and our suffering. Now, it doesn't say don't ask for healing. It is appropriate to ask for healing. But understand this, God can use your trials and your sufferings to take you into a deeper, greater, real intimacy with Jesus that you've never experienced before. If we'll let God, suffering can be the servant of God in our lives. If we'll let God do that work. 
And so let's look at this passage. I mean, there's a lot more all throughout Scripture that deals with patience and suffering. But let's look at what James lays out for us here. And he starts off with this exhortation to patience. There's a a command that he gives there in in verse 7 where he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And he talks about the farmer there. And then he goes again in verse 8 and says, you also be patient like the farmer there. Be patient. And so that's twice that 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 command is given. See, there's no guarantee that the trials will produce that deeper walk with God. We've got to submit to God in the midst of our trials. We've got to use in the midst of our trials. We've got to be drawing near to God. We've got to be walking with God in the midst of our trials. And that's where he talks about That's what he's talking about here when he tells us to be patient. It's not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs or or just sitting there not not getting mad about things, but it's the idea of letting the suffering, letting the trials of life do its work in us. That's what he means by be patient. Here, there are uh, several words that he uses here, primarily two words in these verses that we read that refer to patience. One is the word patient there in verse 7 and again in verse 8. And it is the idea of uh, literally the word means to be long-tempered, to have a long fuse. And it's the idea, you said, because oftentimes when trials come, the temptation is what? Is to get bitter and angry toward God. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to look at our situation and say, why am I going through harder times than, than David's going through? Why am I going through tougher times than Jerry's going through? Why am I, why does God hate me? And we turn our, we won't trust God. And that's what the enemy wants from our life. And so here he's saying, being patient is not letting God do that work in our lives. It is, it is where we are, we are not getting angry with God. We're not getting upset with God. Because the enemy knows if we get upset with God, we won't follow him. We won't trust him. Our lives will fall apart. We won't let God do the work that he wants to do in our lives. And he won't get the glory from it. So we're falling into the enemy's trap whenever we're not patient here. And so that's why he says here, be patient. Wait upon the Lord. Be trusting in the Lord. Don't turn your back on the Lord. And that's seen even more when he uses the word endure down in verse 11 where he says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. This is another word that is often used for patience or endurance or perseverance here. And it literally means to abide under. And what it is saying is that when you're under the trial, abide in Christ. When you're under the attack, abide in Christ. And that's the idea of endurance. It's not just gritting your teeth and burying it. It's the idea of abiding in the midst of the... As the trial comes, don't turn your back on Christ. Stay with Christ. Stay with Him. Trust in Him. The word abide literally means... And when he talks about abiding in Christ, it means to make Christ your home. And it's saying, keep it that way. Keep it that way. Keep, keep, make Jesus your heart, the home of Christ. Keep him there. Keep him in the priority of your life. Make your home, your relationship with Christ, even in the midst of the trial. That's the idea of being patient. That's the idea of endurance. And here he says, we must do that when trials come into our lives. That's why he says earlier, remember back in chapter 1, we talked about trials where he said, count it all joy. 
And that joy is not found in our attitude or our circumstances. It's found in this relationship that we have with Christ. And if that, you're going to find joy in your relationship with Christ, you've got to stay centered. You've got to stay submitted. You've got to stay with Christ. Stay focused upon him. Stay abiding in him. Stay submitted to him. Stay drawing near to him. How do you do that? Well, Philippians 2.13 tells us there, it talks about how that, that, that God works within us both to do and to will his good pleasure. He is the one that is our strength. He is the one that is our motivation. And he will give us the motivation and the desire to do that. And so what do we need to do? We just need to stay with him. Stay in those rhythms that we talked about back in chapter 4, verses 7 uh, through 12 there about submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to God. And he will draw near to you of, of cleansing our hands, of, of, of purifying our hearts, of humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord, living that life out. Stay, keep doing that even when trials come. We must be patient because we will suffer. And he makes that very clear in this passage. That's a part of our lives. Verse 10 says, my brethren, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. We will suffer. Bad things come into our life. Pain is a part of this life. Evil is all around us. And a matter of fact, in our flesh is where evil dwells. And we will have failures of our own. We will have to deal with persecution from the enemy. We will have to deal with spiritual attacks. Hardship, trials, tribulation are a part of this life. And, and the Bible teaches that. Matter of fact, in, in, in 2 Timothy, you can write these passages down and refer to them later. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We will go through trials. And then over in chapter 2, it goes, uh, I mean, uh, in a... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, it even goes deeper. 2 Corinthians 4 is a great passage on, on trial where it says there in verse 8, it, Paul talks about how we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, we will have to go through things in this life, but we don't have to give in to them. We don't have to be crushed in the midst of them. And a matter of fact, he goes on in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and says, for our light affliction, and Paul's talking about light affliction. He's talking about being beaten and persecuted and thrown in prison. That's the light affliction that he's talking about. For our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God's doing a glorious work. He's using the suffering. He's using the trial to do a great and glorious work in our midst. It's transforming us, molding us into the image of Christ, into vessels that will shine his light into the world around us. That's glorious, by the way. And so that's why Paul says over in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, where he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There is fellowship with Christ in the midst of the suffering, and it's in the midst of that fellowship that we come to know Christ. See, see, suffering is not an escalator going down into the pit. It's an escalator coming up. 
drawing closer to Christ through the trials of life. That's why he says in verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed, blessed who endure, who endure. So there's an exhortation to patience. And then he gives three examples of patience. We read read one back in verse 7 where we see the farmer. In verse 7 he says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. The farmer's patient. Why? Because he knows he's not in control of the weather. There's nothing he can do about the weather. There's only one who's in control of the weather, so he has to put his trust in him. And he trusts the Lord to take care of it. If there's not enough rain today, that doesn't mean there won't be rain tomorrow. If it rained too much today, that doesn't mean the drier day's not ahead. And so he just has to trust in the midst of trust in the, in the one who is in control. And so what does he do? He keeps on working. He keeps on working because the harvest time hasn't come yet. So he keeps working. He keeps working. And not only does he keep working, but he keeps his eyes on the harvest, knowing that one day a harvest will come. One day all of this work and all this patience will be worth it. The farmer. Not only do we have the example of the farmer, but we have the example of the prophets. Verse 10, he says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. See, the prophets in the Old Testament, when you read about their lives and you read about their experiences as it's laid out there for us, every one of them was persecuted. They were abused in, in, in oftentimes in their life. They dealt with, with persecution. They dealt with suffering. You have the example of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who was put in stocks at one time, who was beaten, who was thrown in the dungeon, who... who, who wasn't well received at all. Matter of fact, the overwhelming response that he got from the people was negative and one of rejection. He was just trying to preach what God told him to preach and people did not receive it. They attacked him instead and there were false prophets contradicting everything that he was saying and people were going into and believing the false prophets and rejecting his message that God had given him. But he stayed true. He stayed true. He stayed true to God. To the day he died. You think of Isaiah, and we talk about the great passage in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he received the cleansing, and he heard the commission that was there where God said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for me? And we say, Yes, that'll be me. I'll go out there and I'll preach the gospel, and I'll be well known among the, the Christian faith and the churches. Do you know the message that God told us? When Isaiah said, I'll go and preach the message he told him to preach, he said, you go and preach to a people that will not repent and tell them because they will not repent, they're going into captivity. That was the message. But they did what God told them to do. They stayed true. How could they do that? Because they knew God. They knew it was worth it. And then you have the example of Job. Everybody knows Job, don't we? Look in verse 11. It says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. 
The Bible never tells us that Job saw the scene that was going on between the devil and, and the Lord when the devil wanted to bring affliction upon Job and God allowed it to happen. He didn't ask for any of that. He did not pray for patience, but he still got suffering. It came into his lives, and yet he says you've seen the perseverance of Job. Job abided, that's the word for abiding under. He stayed with God. He did not turn his back with God. That doesn't mean that it wasn't easy. That doesn't mean that he didn't hurt. The hurt was real. He grieved over the loss of his family. He was suffering physically uh, with the, the ailment and the sores that were there. It was very hurt. It doesn't mean that he understood everything. He was confused. He didn't know why God was allowing these things to happen in his life. And he questioned God and he prayed to God and he cried out to the Lord. Lord, but he kept praying and he kept asking and he kept serving and he didn't abandon God. He kept his eyes on, on the Lord. He kept crying out to the Lord and in the end, his faith grew. Matter of fact, in Job chapter 42 and verse 11, he said this. He said, I have heard your voice. Everything is good now. Why? Because I've heard your voice with my own ears and I've seen you with my own eyes. I am good. I'm good. great examples of patience abiding in Christ in the midst of trials. And so then he gives us three expressions of patience. As he gives these three commands, in addition to the command to be patient, he says these other three things that, that go along with it. They're ways to express our patience as we obey him. The first is to establish our hearts, to have established hearts. He says that there in, in verse 8 where it says, you also be patient. Like the farmer, you be patient. Then he gives this command, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That word establish, it means to strengthen. It means to, to stabilize, to be stable uh, in our hearts, to have a stable. And notice he uses the word heart here. He's talking about our passion and our love for God, to have a stable love for God, that even when the trials come, even when we don't understand, even when we hurt. We know God loves us and we love him and we're not leaving him. That's the idea of an established heart where we're not, our passion is not healing. We're not having a passion for healing and a passion for comfort and a passion for, for ease. We have a passion for God. He is our passion. He is the one that we care for and that passion will grow in our life. You say, well, I don't know that I have that. Well, let that grow. Let that fire grow in your life. How does that happen? You get in the word of God. You read about people like Job. You read about people like Jeremiah and Isaiah. You read about, about how God carried them through. You get in the word of God. You hear the voice of God. You pray to God. You ask him to do that work in your heart. You draw near to God. You, you, you seek his face. You submit yourselves to God. You cleanse your hands and cleanse your hearts and humble yourself before the Lord, denying yourself, letting Christ be Christ in you, and he will establish your heart. And then he goes on and gets even more practical as he says, and by the way, don't grumble. He says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. The idea is that internal groaning and really like with the children of Israel in the Old Testament, the grumbling against one another is really grumbling against God. God, why are you blessing them and punishing me? God, why are you giving them things that you're not giving to me? 
Why does it look so easy for them and it's so difficult for me? And we wouldn't say that outwardly. That's why it's called grumbling. We smile outwardly, but underneath we're going, I can't stand it. Hang on. <laughs> grumbling listen to me you don't have to fake it with Jesus he is compassionate and merciful he can take your complaints he can take your crying he can take your misunderstandings he is compassionate and merciful draw near let me listen to me Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He will. No grumbling. No swearing. You know, at first glance, verse 12 doesn't seem to fit until you understand you put it in the context of trials. Because what happens oftentimes when we go through trials? He's not talking about cursing here, but he's talking about making promises. He's talking about us trying to take advantage through our words and through our position to control the situation around us. We're trying to make it happen the way we want it to happen. That's the idea of swearing. They're saying, well, this is the way it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to speak these things into existence, or I'm going to bargain with God and say, God, if you'll bless me here, then I'll do this for you here. If you'll, if you'll do this, then I'll give you this. If you'll give me that, I'll give And that doesn't work. He says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Let you, yes, be yes. If you're going to serve God, serve him. And if you're not going to serve God, don't say that you are. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's not how it works. It, does, it doesn't work with you making bargaining with God. You cannot control your situation. Bow before and trust the one who can and who does. Be patient. Endure. Abide with him in your trials. And I tell you one thing the word of God can guarantee is that one day you won't need patience any longer. The end of patience. Now, I put this in here because, and we'll talk more about it next week, because one of the things God has put around us, and it's obvious in this passage, to help us to be patient, to help us to abide, is, is the family of God around us. Did you realize four different times he uses the word brethren in this passage, talking about patience? He says in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, he talks in verse 9, he says, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Verse 10, he says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then in, in verse 12, he says there, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, help one another, brethren. Encourage one another, brethren. We are all believers in the same God. We have the same blood has saved us all. We have some of the same struggles as well. And we have the same Father who can help us. Let's encourage one another to stay faithful to the Lord. We need encouragement. We need the encouragement of others. We need the prayers of others. Our family is like the, the guy who's, who's running the marathon and when he gets close to the finish line, he's wanting to give up. But then there's that, his wife is there and his children are there and his brother is there and they're encouraging him on saying, it's just a little bit further. You can do it. Don't give up. You're almost there. You're doing great. You're gonna make it. We need that. We need that. 
Your patience can help my patience. Your endurance can help my endurance. Your testimony gives encouragement to me. A helping family, but then we also have, praise the Lord, a coming Lord. Did you see how often he referred to that? It says in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he says again in verse 8, You also be a patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he mentions it there in verse 9 where he talks about not grumbling, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, what is he saying here? He's saying that one day we're going to stand before the Lord. And yes, we'll be held accountable for whether we have been patient and, and endured and, and stayed true to the Lord. Yes, we're, we're going to be held accountable for those things. But understand this, this Lord that is coming, the one who we will stand before, as he says at the end of verse 11 as well, that this Lord, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He has a deep love for you. He has grace for you. He is merciful. He has overflowing love love for you. And what I'm trying to tell you is that our suffering is limited. It will not last forever. Harvest day's coming. And it will be worth it all when we stand before him. I read an illustration back in the 1900s about a children's home for disabled children there, a Christian children's home, and they one of the things they taught the children because they knew what suffering was is that one day Jesus would return and all the suffering would be over with. There'd be no more pain. There'd be no more hurting. They'd get a new body and all of this. And one of the issues as they taught that to the children that they had at the children's home is that they had to wash the windows several times every day because every day the children would go press their faces up against the window seeing if Jesus was coming back. We ought to live with our faces pressed up against the window. Yeah, there's work to do, but multiple times every day we need to be reminded Jesus is coming back. And everything is going to be good. So with suffering, do you see suffering as your enemy? Or will you let God use suffering as a servant to draw you closer to him? And let me tell you, God's servant is not your enemy. Pain is not your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Trusting God is not your enemy. Trusting himself is your enemy. Let me close and read you a lyrics to a song that has meant a lot to Missy and I over the years. It's a song written by a blind lady by the name of Jenny Owens. But it's so true about this life that we live. It says, the pathway is broken and the signs are unclear. And I don't know the reason why you brought me here. But just because you love me the way that you do, I'm going to walk through this valley if you want me to. Because I'm not who I was when I took my first step. And I'm clinging to the promise. You're not through with me yet. So if all of these trials bring me closer to you, then I will go through the fire if you want me to. It may not be the way I would have chosen. 
when you lead me through a world that's not my home. But you never said it would be easy. You only said I'd never go through it alone. So when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, I'll remember the suffering that your love put you through and I'll go through the valley if you want me to. Because when I cross over Jordan, I'm going to sing and I'm going to shout and I'm going to look into your eyes and see you never let me down. So take me on the pathway that leads me home to you. And if it takes me through the valley, I'll go there if you want me to.